Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy, on a small planet called Gekonia, east of the albino hills and south of the raging leucistic river, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. You heard that right. It's the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. And today is February 28th, 2016. Uh, great. we got a good show for you guys planned for tonight. And it's all about leopard geckos and leopard gecko morphs. And we have Christy Hausman from Ghoulish Geckos on, a really well-known, respected hobbyist in the community. Uh, she's doing some really nice work with eclipses and enigmas and other uh, cool morphs. And uh, this is uh, a good opportunity for uh, not only beginners, but even more experienced hobbyists to uh, chime in, maybe uh, add some content to the show with uh, some discussion topics. And but we, we pretty much know where we're going to go. But uh, you guys can always call in. Our number is 646-478-5331. Uh, you can simply call that number and listen to the show on your phone. Or if you'd like to come on the air, uh, once you call the number and you get connected, press number one on your phone and a little question mark will appear next to your phone number and I'll know that you want to come on the air with a question. All right, so definitely take advantage. Get the get your uh, 15 seconds of fame on Gecko Nation Radio and uh, can even get a plug for yourself or whatever, or your operation, your business, whatever you're up to. So that's always there for you guys. All right, well, um, another order of business. If you guys like what we're doing here on Gecko Nation Radio, definitely check out Herpentine Radio. Check out Morelia Python Radio. Check out Corn on the Pod Radio. Corn on the Pod is basically all about corn snakes and uh, coolabrids, stuff like that. That's a really uh, valuable part of our reptile community. And, of course, if you're just new to finding the reptile world and the reptile community, uh, please understand that the whole community and industry is definitely under threat of being wiped out by legislation and, and laws and terrible things. So the only way we can protect ourselves is to support USARC, United, United States Association of Reptile Keepers. They're out there fighting for our rights to keep exotic pets like our reptiles. All right, so go to their website, usarc.org. All right, and if you'd like to learn about advocacy and how to uh, get active in your own community, uh, protecting your rights. Also check out the Herp Alliance at herp, usherp.org, Herp Alliance. Uh, they have a lot of good information on how to do your own grassroots uh, movements and stuff like that to help you. Because these uh, federal bans can are just one thing, but there are lots of towns out there that do their own little loco bans on reptiles and animals, certain pets. So don't let them get away with it, folks. Let your voice be heard. All right. Well, of course, Gecko Nation Radio would not be possible without our amazing sponsors. And our sponsors are handpicked. These are highly respected businesses and breeders in our community. Uh, if you do business with them, you'll know that. But if you're new to doing business with them, mention the radio show. They'll take care of you. 
and uh, a couple of them in particular you're going to hear about on our plug here. So we'll be right back. And uh, oh, one other thing. If you're at any of the expos in the Northeast, make sure you stop by and see Dale's Bearded Dragon, the DBD pet for all your reptile supplies. And if you're at the show, order one of their T-shirts, you're going to get a discount. And if you mention the radio show at an expo that they're at, you're going to get 10% off your supplies and feeders. All right, so take advantage. All right, check them out. LeopardGecko.com. Check out Ron Tremper's work with all different types of amazing leopard gecko morphs, such as bandits, high yellows, extreme emerines, raptors, and much, much more. Also, check out his app in the App Store called LG Pro. It's basically an encyclopedia of leopard gecko morphs, great for beginners. And he has another app called Leopard Gecko Care as well. Great stuff. Check him out. And, of course, Supreme Gecko. Mr. Wally Kern does an awesome job with Cresties and Day Geckos and all kinds of cool obscure species that you don't see all the time. His website's also a wealth of information, so visit SupremeGecko.com. And, of course, Ohio Gecko. Uh, Ohio Gecko is very well known for working on all different types of leopard gecko morphs and fat tails. Uh, he's pioneering the fat tail gene, the starburst. So that's uh, unique to his collection. Check that out at OhioGecko.com. And, of course, Gecko Boa Reptiles, GeckoBoa.com. If you guys are looking for some really high-end leopard gecko morphs and any of the subspecies and wild types related to leopard geckos, John is the man for that. So go to Gecko Boa Reptiles on Facebook or GeckoBoa.com. And, of course, Rainbow Mealworms. We love Rainbow Mealworms. RainbowMealworms.net. Best pricing, best customer service. All kinds of great stuff, not just mealworms. they got superworms, crickets, uh, roaches, too. Definitely give Rainbow Mealworms a shot. You will not be disappointed. That's RainbowMealworms.net. And if you're shipping your animals anywhere in the country or to Canada and now Puerto Rico, uh, use Reptiles Express for your FedEx labels. You get them at the best rates that I've found, and also any shipping supplies that you need, like cardboard insulated boxes, heat packs, deli cups, snake bags, and much more. So visit Reptiles Express. It's a, the membership is free, and if you have any trouble, ask for Amy. She'll help you out. And sea serpents. If you guys are breeding snakes or geckos or reptiles of any kind, sooner or later you're going to need a rack system. Get rid of all those tanks all over your house. So check out sea serpents and hotbox incubators. Hot, top quality rack and incubator manufacturer right there, folks. All right, seaserpents.com. And if you guys need any kind of graphic design work or stickers or banners or stuff like visit reptilestickers.com. Ask for Rachel. She'll totally help you out. And if you're sick of crickets chirping in your house, getting out and climbing the walls, keeping you up at night, switch to Dubia Roaches. Go with AB Dragons, abdragons.com. Use the code GNR. I'm sorry, use the code GECKO, all in caps, with AB Dragons and you're going to get 5 or 10% off your order. They have all different types of roaches, just not just dubious. They have uh, very obscure roaches that you don't see all the time as well. abdragons.com, code is GECKO, all in caps. And the code for DBDPET, that's G-N-R-5, all in caps. DBDPET.com is the best reptile supply distributor that I've found, and we are proud to have them on board as a sponsor. DBDPET has anything you need, from caging, lighting, supplementation, heat pads, FlexWatt heat tape, everything, all kinds of good stuff that you'll need, decorations for your tank, 
uh, or cages. Um, and they're at almost all the reptile shows on the East Coast, too. So if you see them at any of the expos on the East Coast, mention Gecko Nation Radio. They'll give you 10% off on the spot uh, off their already low prices. And, of course, their website and app is dbdpet.com, and use the code GNR5 for a discount on their uh, supplies online. That's right, folks. Check out our sponsors, all right? And uh, also, if you're in the group Gecko Nation, definitely weigh in on uh, the topic tonight, and uh, we will get your question answered live on the air. I'm going to check the uh, group right now. We had a post with some good feedback uh, for some questions for Christy, and uh, we're going to go get to that right now. All right, folks, without further ado, let's bring on Christy Hausman of Ghoulish Geckos. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hi. Hey, Christy. How's it going? It's good. How are you? Doing good. Thanks for coming on tonight with us and uh, looking forward to going back to our roots and talking some leopard gecko talk tonight. What's uh, what's going on with your project lately? Um, My season really just started. Um, Not really doing anything special, anything different this year. Um, Still working on, like, the eclipse, both the, like, hat trumper and hat bells, um, have some enigma-ish, so an enigma projects, a little bit of white and yellow, um, some Afghan Halloween bold crosses. Still, I haven't really added anything too new to work with this year. So I'll basically just be working on the same stuff, just kind of every year trying to make them look a little bit nicer. Well, I think you're succeeding in that because every year <laughs> your eclipses get better and better they're almost like bright orange now from what i can tell. <laughs> thank you <laughs> what have you been uh doing to to get them so good like what like where did you start with them and how did you get them to where they are honestly i got really really lucky um the first season i hatched when i think was maybe 2008 and i had just had an eclipse hat trumper that i got from paul allen from Bright Albino, and I had a female Eclipse Hut Trumper from Paul Sage. And for some reason, like, they were basic, just patternless striped Eclipses. They weren't real fancy, kind of, like, yellow-brownish. And somehow, one of them that hatched out ended up being, like, super orange-spotted, and I don't know why. So I decided that I liked the look. So I held him back and started breeding him the following season and just kind of went from there. Every year or two, I add in a couple of females that I see from other breeders that I like. Um, one year I tried adding in a little bit of, like, tangerine to it. And it was nice, but I didn't really like the hypo look that I got. Some people love that look, so I kind of kept a little bit. But I really like the striped and spotted ones more. And mm-hmm. last year, I think it was maybe the year before, I started getting a lot of carrot tail somehow. And basically just line breeding every year, just keeping the ones that appeal to me specifically, or sometimes I'll keep some that somebody really, really likes. Like I'll hear a lot of people say that they like that specific look, so I might hold back one or two of those and use those too. But really just line breeding, like that's pretty much it, and outcrossing a little bit here and there. And mm-hmm. Well, what I've found is with my own work with the eclipses is, like for instance, I have um, some extreme membranes and uh, their head for eclipse, head for raptor actually, or trim mm-hmm. albino eclipse, depending on how you want to say it. But um, what I've noticed is the eclipse gene, like 
in that particular morph, and maybe I've just gotten unlucky, but the eclipse gene just like washes out all the color completely when it's in it does you know, the albino form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but then again, I have seen some raptors that are very impressive in color. Mm-hmm. But you know, my whole goal with that particular project was, all right, well, I'm going to get the eclipse. I'm going to make some incredible extreme emerine raptors and the exact opposite happened, and I wind up mm-hmm. having to sell these, like, for lack of a better word, ugly eclipses. I mean, they're beautiful in their own right if you like that kind of look, but um, I wind up having to sell them really cheaply because they, mm-hmm. you know, they, they don't look good. But I know, and I know from my work with them that if they were to pair that with, say, uh, a nicely colored tangerine or a nicely colored raptor, they're going to get some killer offspring. So mm-hmm. has that happened with you and some of your eclipses? Um, yeah, basically, for, I mean, barely from what I've seen with everybody that's worked with them is that's their biggest complaint is that they see a lot of, like, it fades out the colors. And basically, even with mine, with, like, you know, a line breed for color and things like that, and some of them will fade and some of them will hold their color really, really well. My, like, raptors and radars tend to be very nice colored when they come out. They're not faded at all from anything that I've seen. But the eclipse in general, just like the visual eclipse, um, I do see fading in quite a few of them. I'm not sure if it's like what it is exactly, if it's a patternless stripe that does something weird. I'm not sure what it is, but I have seen that complaint from a lot of people. I don't know that anybody's ever going to get a eclipse that looks like a high-quality tangerine. Well, I mean, you're on your way to doing that. I mean, I guess you can... I guess it makes sense to say that to get a really beautiful eclipse takes time. It takes a lot of, you know, selective mm-hmm. reading to get those colors to stay with them. I mean, right? Yes. Yep. Mhm. Wow. Well, what would you say for someone that's interested in the eclipse gene? What kind of combos would you recommend uh, for them to get started with? I guess it really depends on the look they're going for. Um, a lot of people like the Mac Eclipse, but I think for somebody starting off, that's kind of tough because they're really hard to ID when they hatch. Um, some of them hatch like black and white banded, but like most of mine coming from like the patternless stripe stuff, they hatch looking like a regular Eclipse. Um, for me, I can usually ID almost all of them just based off of my regular Eclipse hatch more orange, and the Mac Eclipse tend to hatch more of like a dull, kind of like a dull yellow almost like a dark, not black, but like a darker color like that. So I noticed a lot of people have a hard time IDing them. So even though they're really cool looking, I probably wouldn't recommend that for somebody starting out. Starting out, um, white and yellow is nice with them, but it definitely seems to, on a lot of them, they seem more pastel looking in color. Um, I am seeing some people now getting more orange and brighter colors in those, but I think that kind of fades them too. So I guess it really just depends on the look somebody's going for. If they want a more, like, pastel looking, definitely with, like, the Mac Snows or the White and Yellows. Um, You know, albinos, everybody likes the albinos. I actually prefer the non-albino eclipse, but, Mm -hmm. I mean, really you can't go wrong with any of the albino eclipses. People will always love those. It depends Mm -hmm. on if somebody's just starting if they're starting, I would say start basic. If it's somebody who's been breeding for a long time, you can really add it to anything. I have not seen a whole lot of bold stripe eclipse. 
So yeah, that's something that's that somebody might want to work on. Um, I don't know if it's just the mix of stripes, the patternless stripe and the bold stripe, that it just, the bold doesn't seem to really show up for some reason. Um, well, that's, that's would be another excuse to really spend some time selective breeding mm-hmm. for that trait and then and that's something really special, I guess, you know? Yeah, I think that one would take a lot of years. I tried one <laughs> year crossing them and not one baby had like any type of bold striping at all, not even a hint. So I think it would oh, take wow. quite a few years to be able to do it if mm. it if it happens. I've never seen anybody that's had one. But I think that would be a cool project if somebody could make it work. Yeah, definitely. Um, the other thing that I've tried, and I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, one of the other features of the Eclipse is that it, you know, affects the eye pigmentation. And, uh, you know, some people like the snake-eyed look where half the eye is pigmented black and half is normal, and other people mm-hmm. like the solid black eyes. Have you ever seen, have you been able to determine if, like, for instance, if you breed two Eclipses with all black eyes together that you'll consistently get? all black eye babies or is it still random with the eyes for me it's always been random i'm pretty sure that john has had some luck with getting a specific look with the eyes more consistently for me it's it's been random every year it's i get babies with basically almost no pigment i get babies with solid eyes i get snake eyes everything in between i don't I think for me, I usually end up holding back more snake-eyed just because I like the look, but I do have some solid-eyed adults, and breeding them, I don't hatch out any more solids from breeding those versus just breeding my snake-eyed. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of my experience, too, with them. You know, cause it's, you know I, I personally, I prefer normal eyes. In fact, you know, like the raptor eyes that are all red or the eclipse eyes that are all black, they kind of mm-hmm. take the expression away from the face of the gecko and make them, make them look more robotic, in my opinion, and mm-hmm. less natural. But that's I, my Yeah, I can that. see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I do see that you like to work with the enigmas, too, and um, the enigma gene, you know, definitely causes some controversy, and I've always, you know, been a fan of enigmas and, you know, um, I think, you know, if you'd like to talk a little bit about Enigmas tonight, um, I'd like to, sure. if that's okay with you. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, well, in your experience, uh, how long have you been working with the Enigma gene? Um, I bought some of the first ones that were, like, released, I don't know how early on, but back when only a couple people were selling them. So whatever year that was that they were first released, like, publicly. Right. Um, I don't know if that was like 08, 09, something like that, maybe. maybe. Yeah, Yeah, I don't... Um, For people that don't know, let's just make make it clear, though, that the Enigma gene sometimes has an issue with neurological disorder. They kind of have balance issues. And, uh, you know, it's something that has caused people not to want to work with them at all. But, um, yeah, go ahead, Christy. What, what, What is your experience with them? Um, the early ones that I bought, basically all of them, all of them had Enigma syndrome. Some were not very severe where it was just like a little bit of a head tilt. Um, some of them were severe where they were spinning. Um, I did notice like females can be trickier because things like high stress tends to bring on Enigma syndrome. 
from my experience, from what I've read, from what I've talked to with other people, is that it's always possible an enigma, but not every enigma will have it. But just because they don't have it now at two or three years old doesn't mean they won't have it at five years old. There's always that chance of getting it. Um, the early ones, it seemed like everybody just wanted to breed the morph, and they were breeding not caring that they were acting weird. Everybody just wanted to basically flood the market because it was the next big thing. It was expensive. People wanted to make their money back. And I don't think yeah. enough was really done to, like, stop the problem. So early on, I think it turned away a lot of people. And I've bought some from breeders that were fine for a while and then ended up having it later on. I've been very lucky that I bought a female from Sean and Lori at Night Glow, and she is now on her third breeding season for me, and she has yet to show a single sign. She's oh, probably nice. one of my best eaters. She doesn't even go off food when she's gravid or ovulating. She still eats. Um, she may stop eating about a week before she lays usually, and then she starts up the very next day. None of her babies so far that I have had here have shown any signs of enigma syndrome. I have bred her two of her babies now, and they were fine, and all their babies were fine. I don't know what it is with this line, but I basically, that's the only ones I'll work with right now. And if I start to see any signs, I will no longer breed that animal. I feel like part of it could be some of the outcrossing that people have done, but I think part of the problem was, again, that people weren't selective in what they were breeding. And I think now people will only breed the strongest ones, the ones that aren't showing problems. And I think that's why we're seeing better luck with them now. Yeah, it's really hard to say, though. I know. You've outcrossed some subspecies, too, right? Yes. These these were outcrossed to Fascio a while back. Um, I probably said that wrong, but, yeah. So they were outcrossed, and I'm planning on actually getting a new male that is also an outcross. So that way it kind of adds a little bit more, and I'm hoping that that will actually make it even better. Well, some people call the white and yellow gene, you know, the enigma without the enigma syndrome. Uh, would you would you agree with that? Um, I don't know with the white and yellow so much that, I mean, any gecko, any morph can have, like, neurological issues. I think what's weird with the white and yellows is they look so similar to enigmas. And I think that that tends to confuse people. And there have been, I know that I've had a white and yellow that had neurological problems. Most of the white and yellows, though, that people have have no issues at all. And I'm not sure if the genes are related at all because they look so similar. Like, I don't... I know there's info out there about where the white and yellow started, but I feel like in the U.S. we don't quite have as much of the background on the white and yellow gene as we do on the enigma yeah. gene. Mm-hmm. But as I far as I know... Go ahead. I think it's like really interesting that there's a possibility, I mean, just from people I've talked to, like yourself, that um, going way back, and, and this is an unknown territory, like you say, but what if the original enigma that was used just happened to have neurological disorder. Maybe it wasn't so bad that they had noticed at the time, but and it just got passed down that way, but doesn't necessarily mean that there there weren't uh, there isn't a gene out there that just didn't have that neurological disorder. Like the, like mm-hmm. if it was done properly, we could have had enigmas without the syndrome completely, you know? 
Yeah, I honestly, I, I have no idea. I mean, I think it's fascinating and interesting, and I wish we knew a little, like I wish we could talk a little more to the people who first worked with the animals, and I wish people were a little more open about some of the negative things yeah. because that tends to be pushed under the rug. And I think that the only way to learn from it is to learn the good and the bad both. Yeah, no, I agree, definitely. Um, talking with some of the breeders, I know Matt worked a lot with them, and uh, he spoke about them on the show a couple times. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's, a, he's of the opinion that, you know, all enigmas can produce the enigma syndrome, and that might be right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done work here with crossing them to the pure fascias as well, and um, so far so good. Like, they're all solid. I mean, I don't bring, I don't mm-hmm. really breed a lot of enigmas, but... The ones that I outcross to that line are solid, and mm-hmm. you know, in my opinion, I I just don't want to take a chance with any other combos. If this is working for me, I'm gonna just stick with this. You know, that's how I feel right now too with them. And I don't know if it is the outcrossing. I I really don't know what it is because I know Matt had said he tried outcrossing to every basically like subspecies, and he didn't see any improvement. And I do agree with him. I think all of them have the chance to get Enigma syndrome. But I think that by breeders that actually breed strong lines and actually have ethics where they're where they say if I see an animal showing it, I'm not going to breed that animal. I think that that will make a difference. Um, some people are completely against it, but I think that the only way to really figure out if we can fix the problem is to actually work with it. Yeah, and I think that's important. I think it, you know it's it's not something that can just be figured out in one or two or three even three years. Of, of breeding, uh, mm-hmm. this is something that's going to take time, and I agree. I think it's, I've always said it too, I, I'd rather not see the gene get lost completely before we learn mm-hmm. a little bit more about it. Yes. Um, just too cool. I mean, I think the Enigma gene could be the coolest gene. It really could. It, was, it, it really uh, is. It does some amazing things. <laughs> yeah. It's just a little more stable for, for people. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. a lot of people buy Enigmas yeah, maybe at reptile expos or from people they don't mm-hmm. know or don't know the lineage, and then they have a bad experience, and then they mm-hmm. go on social media bashing enigmas, or mm-hmm. you know, they have horror stories about them. I mean, it, it's it's a shame. It really is because you know, the, is, a bad enigma should never be bred, never. Yes, I agree, under, and I can understand. I can totally understand and respect anybody who doesn't want to work with them. It's not an easy thing because if you have such severe babies that you have to put to sleep. It's not an experience that most people want to have. But I do also look at some of the other morphs when they were first released, and there were issues with morphs like Super Snows in the beginning, not as severe as, like, the Enigmas, but I believe they were, like, slow growers where they had trouble really getting up to size. And you look at them now, and they're strong genes, and they're big, and they're normal-looking. So I feel like, in a way, you can't give up, but I can definitely say that it should only be select people that are experienced that should actually be working with it. I would never recommend an enigma for somebody beginning, like yeah. even as a pet. I mean, I have, yeah, I have a female enigma here that um, she, she's a breeder of mine, and I retired her last season, but um, I don't know. She seems to be much more intelligent, much more sociable with me when I take her out than mm-hmm. the normal geckos. And it's it's enough that I actually notice it. I mean, this gecko literally, mm-hmm. like, looks in my eyes. And I've heard that I, I've a lot people, from people. Okay, well, then maybe I'm not crazy, because some people have called no. me crazy. Mm-hmm. And, I, and 
<laughs> I'm like, well, what? And, and my mind goes off, well, why could this be different? And I'm like, well, what if she's more like a savant because of this possible neurological thing that might be in her that makes her just a little bit more smarter, kind of like Rain Man, mm-hmm. I don't know. But I, I just, that's why people will call me crazy when I say that. But um, what what if it is, though, you know? Yeah. So I've heard a lot of people say that their enigmas are, they really seem to not, I don't want to say crave attention because lizards don't, they don't crave attention. And I don't want to put that, like, feeling out there and people be like, oh, my my animal loves me because they don't. But I think that. <laughs> I've heard a lot of people say, like, theirs will come up to the front, theirs will look them in the eyes, theirs will climb out into their hand, theirs will chill with them, and they just seem to be, in general, from a lot of people, say the same things about them. Now, mine, my females really aren't the most friendly, but they do look at me a lot, but so do a lot of mine. I mean, I, my eclipse tend to make eye contact a lot, too, so I really don't see a huge difference, but I have heard of a lot of people saying that. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I mean, I work with so many, so like, you know, when when one or two of them act a certain way, I, it kind of just, uh, you know, it, it mm-hmm. wakes up a little bit. It gets my attention. But because yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. Most of them have very similar personalities. They, you know, they really not. I mean, they they tolerate us, but they're not, you know, overly affectionate or anything. They're not mm-hmm. looking to, you know, be our buddies. But no, <laughs> it's pretty interesting. Well, that's just what to say is there's definitely more at work and more more data that needs to be collected, and you know, mm-hmm. hopefully people out there will embrace that and you know and try to figure it out. That, that'd be good. But I mean, if your your advice though, like if somebody wants to go buy an Enigma, uh, where do you suggest they get one, and what do you think they should look for? Um, first, if it's like their first leopard gecko, I would say definitely don't get one at all. Don't take a chance because they're not a beginner morph at all because of the issues. Now, if they've had leopard geckos, they are aware. First, they need to be fully aware of what Enigma syndrome is and know that even if you're buying one that's syndrome-free, the shipping and stress can trigger it. Like they could get it the next day and it could actually be showing it. Some will settle down and then not show it again, but it could be just what sets it off. So, I think the people need to know what they're getting into and do their research, massive amounts of research, before they even think about it. At that point, I mean, ask the breeder questions. Ask them a lot of questions. Ask if any of the siblings have shown syndrome. Ask if any of the parents have shown how many generations they've been breeding them. You know, different things like that. Ask how their feeding response is. If they feed okay, are they striking and missing their food? Are they tilting their head? Are they spinning? Are they falling over? Um, things like that, because a lot of enigmas that maybe don't even show the syndrome, but there's something there because they're not great eaters or they're slow growers. Whereas I've been lucky with mine, like the female that I started with from Sean and Lori, she's a big girl. She's kind of shorter, but she's she's a hefty girl. She's well over 65, 75 grams. So, oh, wow. But I've, but I have seen in like there's an Enigma Syndrome group on Facebook, and I've seen people posting animals where they're very small for their age, and I know that I've had a couple in the past that just weren't good eaters. So I think that's one of the things you want to ask the breeder definitely is what they're eating and how well they eat. Um, yeah. From there, I mean, really, it's just 
do your research on the breeders too. You know, make sure you're buying from somebody who's got good reviews. They're ethical. They're not known to be shady because you really don't want to deal with that. And if they're known to be shady, then you don't really know if you can trust what they're saying about the enigmas. So trust the person yeah. you're buying from. Do your research and kind of go from there. Just ask a lot of questions. And if some if a breeder doesn't want to answer the questions, go to somebody else that will. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Hmm. I agree. Well, now we're talking a little bit about beginners and stuff. Um, you made a really, really good post recently on Facebook, and um, it was more or less directed at beginners because you know we get a lot of beginners in the hobby, which is which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. I mean, mm-hmm. I wish more of them would, you know, become more serious. But sometimes they they get excited and they get in for a year or so, and then they mm-hmm. you know, get out. But yeah, um, why don't we talk a little bit about beginners and? Uh, especially your post that you wrote, which is so cool, and uh, what your <laughs> yeah. thoughts are on, yeah, sure. I, you couldn't have said it better. I mean, you basically said everything all of us experienced obviously are thinking, and just took the time mm-hmm. to write it out really good. You know, yeah, um, not out, not not all of us have good, you know, a lot of patience with beginners at times, but mm-hmm. I think I think it was pretty cool. But yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. Go ahead. Sure. Um, I mean, really. Beginners are great, and new hobbyists are great. That's what continues to grow everything. Like, we need and we encourage people to breed. Like, that's not the problem. The problem that I'm seeing, I see, I stayed off Facebook for years. Like, I had a personal page that I would check every six months or so, but I, like, refused to create, like, a gecko page or be involved in it because I just, I don't know, it, like, freaked me out a bit. And now that I've been on it for, like, two and a half years, it freaks me out more. Because I'm seeing all the things that are posted, and it blows me away. Because, like, I don't know, I I, I love groups, and I hate them at the same time. I want to help people, but at the same time, I get so frustrated. So I kind of wanted something where people could reference and read. So I started making some notes about, like, questions for beginners and common questions in groups and stuff about if you want to become a breeder, like, how do you go about it and stuff? And the problem I'm seeing, well, not only besides the incorrect answers that are being handed out and people being just so beyond rude to each other, is that nobody really wants to talk about how to get started the right way. Like, I understand that people are going to breed pet store geckos. It's going to happen. It's going to happen no matter what. There's nothing anybody can do to stop it. But I think that instead of saying, hey, don't do that, or hey, sure, go ahead and do that, People need to sit back. The breeders need to sit back. And I know that everybody doesn't have time, but the ones that do need to talk to people and maybe be a good role model and maybe kind of help these kids out when they're starting. And not only tell them the good things about breeding, but also tell them the bad things about breeding. Explain that there's more than just throwing two animals together to produce 20 babies that now may not have a home to go to because every single kid or person wants to just start breeding their animals. It's going to be a problem where they're overrun and not taken care of. And I'm seeing them all over things like Craigslist and Facebook where animals are starving, people aren't taking care of them. Like, I don't want them to become another dog and cat. So what I kind of wanted to explain to people is, you know, yeah, you can breed. That's a good thing. Breeding is a good thing. But you need to not skip the steps. You need to learn. First of all, don't buy two geckos from a pet store. Ask people what they are and then throw them together to breed, and they're your first animals. Like, learn how to take care of them first, especially younger kids, 14, 15 years old. 
you lose interest. You lose interest quick in certain things. I mean, I did. My daughter did. Everybody does. So learn. Make sure you like the animals first. Make sure you have their care down 100%. Because if the care is not right, your animals aren't going to be right. Um, You know, researching morphs and genetics is important because we're not breeding to create mutts. We're not breeding for those reasons. Like, we are serious breeders are breeding to not make money, but to actually make the animals better in our eyes, I guess. I mean, what is better in my eyes might not be better in somebody else's, but they they kind of need to see that there are reasons, there's standards and ethics with breeding. It's not just do whatever, because if you go to a pet store, you're not going to buy two dogs there and bring them home and start breeding them. Like, you're not going to go to a pet shelter and adopt two unknown mutts and start breeding them. It's just not the same type of thing. And I feel like people are pushing, saying we need the same rights as dogs, we need the same rights as cats, but yet they want to treat the animals differently when it comes to things like breeding. And we need to be a little more responsible about those things. you know. And it's not just the genetics. The genetics are so messed up that they may never, ever be fixed. I mean everything's been mixed so much nobody really truly knows what they have um i know john test breeds as much as he can but very few breeders have the room and the space to be able to do that um you know they a lot of people's arguments are if they're breeding them for pets they're not going to end up in the breeding ever but that's kind of how it all started getting all messed up is they do slip in and they do get past things and when you Ten years from now, you don't know where those animals are. So you have no control once they get past your hands. So to me, I want to teach kids the basics. Like I recommend getting a pair of Max Snows. You know, you can get those so cheap from a breeder. And they could be Mac Cat Trumpers. And a lot of times if you talk to a breeder and tell them what you want to do, they're going to be open to helping you. And they'll try to get you those animals at the same price as like a pet store animal so to me if you're going to spend the money you know just go to a breeder and talk to them and let them help you the other problem that i'm seeing you know with breeding all these unknown animals is the pet stores are getting animals from wholesalers wholesalers are good and bad you know they're good because they're getting these animals out to kids and people that don't have a chance to see them normally and a lot of people's first you know, Gecko might come from Petco or PetSmart or where any of the other big chains. And I think that's a good thing, but I think people need to realize that a pet store is for pets and a breeder is for breeder-quality animals. Right. And I think that for some reason I get the excitement, you know, I do. But, you know, if you – I don't want to say, like, it's okay just to breed because you want to breed because – if everybody did that, it's a really bad thing, but it is a cool thing, and it is good to breed. Um, I don't want to discourage any new hobbyist from breeding at all. Like, But I don't want them, I don't want a 14- or 15-year-old kid breeding two animals from Petco, and, or pet, any pet store, I should say. And those animals might have been line bred for so long and so mixed up that you know, after so many years of line breeding, you start seeing things like tail issues and things like that. And 
if the females were depleted on nutrients, you know, are you going to start seeing eye issues, things, you know, nobody wants a kid to hatch out their first babies and have them have bad deformities and have to be put to sleep. To me, yeah. that's not the way to start a hobby or get a kid interested because if that happened to me, I'd never breed again. Like if that was my first time. So I think that starting with, it's not just the genetics, but it's the health of the animals. You don't know what the health is of the animals from pet stores that you're breeding. Just because you don't see it on the outside doesn't mean they're not passing something on to their babies. And there are breeders that, you know, are probably not outcrossing enough too, and you're going to start seeing issues there. But I think that it's just a safer bet to buy from a breeder versus if you want to breed an animal. But they need to know the risks that it's not healthy necessarily for the females. You know, there is risks of egg binding. There's risk of just females that never recover after breeding and never start eating again. There are risks involved that people don't seem to want to talk about. And if you want to breed, you need to know the good and the bad. And I think that's just kind of the point I was trying to get across, that it is a serious thing. Like, you can't just look at it like, oh, I'm just doing this because it's cool. Because it is cool. It's very, very cool. And I want people to experience it. And I'm not saying do it the same way that I'm telling you. I don't want to say that necessarily. But there is a right and wrong way to do things. And there's a middle ground, and the middle ground is fine. But when you get to, like, the really low, then it's shady. And... It really, it's not just ethics to me. It's the whole thing of do you really know the expense and what this does to the animals and the risks that are involved. And if you're buying these animals because they're cheap and you don't want to spend the money from a breeder, what happens if your female is egg-bound and you have to go spend $1,200 on surgery and she still may die? And they won't. You know, I I don't think people get that. Exactly. Like, I don't think... They really understand that. What if you start hatching babies that have issues and you have to take them in to the vet? Like, those costs add up fast. (laughs) The vets are really expensive. There's always risks involved, and I feel like people are in such an extreme of don't do it or, oh, sure, it's fine, go ahead and do it because that's how you start. And I feel like you need to take the middle ground and say, hey, it's really cool, and yeah, I'm glad you're interested in this, but let's talk about the pros and cons. Stop just saying yes, do it, no, don't. It just it bugs yeah. me. It bugs me a lot because I'm seeing it over and over and over again. And sometimes I'm short with my answers because I just get frustrated answering the same things over and again, but <laughs> I really have good intentions. I just I just can't. Sometimes I can't deal with it. <laughs> So well, sometimes I'm short to the point, but I get I get so so many, and I don't know if it's from my YouTube channel or what, but oh my god, do I get these questions over and over again, over again? Mm-hmm. I get emails, I get PMs, I get like mm-hmm. I've said it before. I pull my hair out, but I lost my hair like five six years ago, so I can't really do that. <laughs> um, it's it's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. It can be very frustrating, like trying to educate new folks. You know, you you want to do it because I remember, Christy. I remember when I was a kid. I remember mm-hmm. being eight, nine years old, being fascinated with these things. And mm-hmm. you know, a lot of young people contact me, and I want to be able to help them all, but I I just can't. I don't have enough time yeah. to day, number one. And mm-hmm. I'm, my patience does run thin sometimes. It really mm-hmm. does. It's I guess it's just what makes us human. It's it's just 
I think what's so hard is that it's a different generation now. And for us, we, you know, the people that have been around longer, we had to do the research ourselves. We had people to mentor us and help us, and we had, you know, the research. But there's so much more out there now. It's so easy to find the answers to things. Now, I have no problem when somebody asks me a specific question because they've looked it up and found conflicting information about it. You know, I've had to do that with animals, too, with things that I've bought. You know, I find a care sheet, and I find three of them, and they're all different. So I'm going to ask the breeder, you know, what do you think and what do you do? And I think that's great. The problem I'm seeing is nobody wants to look up a basic question. And it's such a simple search to find a basic answer. And breeders get frustrated and then new people get frustrated because they think we're snobs and rude and because we don't (laughs) want to tell them all the answers. And they need to realize right. you have to work for it a little bit. Like, nothing's free. Do some work. We all had to do it. You can do it, too. We are all willing to help you. But you have to be willing to help yourself, too. You also have to be willing That's to listen. <laughs> you have That's to listen. Because there's a lot of people that will <laughs> argue and argue because they just want you to tell them what they want to hear. And then they'll keep arguing until somebody tells them that. And it's like, that's not helping you. You actually need to listen to people and be willing to take the help. You may think you're right about a lot of things, but if you have 10 breeders coming and telling you something different, you're probably wrong. Like, just accept it, say I'm wrong, and learn from it. Like, I am always learning. I love to learn. I love to research. I'm a nerd, and I will read as much as I can about anything that I'm interested in. And yeah. I'm still learning every day. I mean, geckos, there's always new stuff, and we try different things. And if I'll talk to breeders and be like, they'll say, you know, this is working better for me, and somebody else tries it, and then I'll be like, cool, I'm going to try it too. There's always new ways to do things, and there's not one way that's right. But there are certain things that you need to obviously kind of stick to, but people need to realize that, one, you're being rude to people when you're just, like, attacking like, instead of answering. But kids and younger, I should say, I don't want to say kids because now I sound old. Um, I'd say, like, teenagers and into their 20s, they need to realize that, like, just because we answer with a one sentence doesn't mean we're being rude. It just means we're telling you something. Like, we don't need to, like, write out this whole paragraph of mushy, lovey, sweet stuff to you. Like, just listen. We're telling you the answer. It's not rude. It's just answering. Like, I, I don't understand that mentality at all. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. It, I'm not that person, so I have a hard time with it. I hate, For me, I want to listen. I hate using the emoticons, whatever they're called, the smiley faces. I hate it, but because I've <laughs> Because I've dealt with so many people online today, and, I mean, mm-hmm. let's face it, a lot of new people in the community are young folks, and, mm-hmm. but, like, if I, I agree completely, like, I've answered them in, in sentences, and it's almost like they, in their mind, they see me write a sentence, and it's like I'm yelling at them, and meanwhile, I'm not writing all in caps, I'm just writing mm-hmm. out the sentence, I'm not being rude, I'm just answering the yeah. question concisely, but... Mm-hmm. For some reason, they take it as like somebody's yelling at them, and I'm so now I got to use these stupid little smiley faces all the time, mm-hmm. and and it's like, oh my god, like it, has our communication degraded that that far? Where you know, like I got to. I do think that, it is. But... I think it has. I think it's the technology that nobody knows how to 
understand because you're typing and I don't know, like I, I understand that you can't hear the emotion behind people's words, but just because somebody says, hey, you know, like in an admin as a group, like if you say, hey, that doesn't follow the rules for the group, like that doesn't mean I'm being mean to you. Like I've had people tell yeah. me I'm a total B because I told them they weren't following the rules. It's like I'm just telling you you're not following the rules. I'm not being mean about it. I'm just saying, hey, that's not allowed here. I shouldn't have to say, like, oh, you're such a great person, but I can't let you have that here. Like, it's just I don't understand what people expect anymore, and I want to encourage people, and I don't want people to think I'm rude, but I'm also not going to type out a full paragraph for a simple sentence answer for something. And I wish people would realize that we're not being mean, but we have lives and we have jobs and families and houses and things that we have to take care of, too. We can't babysit all the time, I guess, would be the right word. word. That's Mm -hmm. the word. That is the word. Because you know what? I'm 39 years old, and under any other circumstances, I would not be pen pals with 15-year-olds and 16-year-olds. For some reason, Facebook has forced us all. (laughs) Yeah, for some reason, Facebook has forced us to deal with all kinds of age groups, all Mm -hmm. kinds of demographics, and kind of just made a big melting pot and all of a sudden it mm-hmm. just gets really crazy and I, I'm still trying to navigate it and trying to, you know, do it the right way but it, it's, it's oh man it's crazy. It's, it's very hard for us and I think that the newer people need to realize like, don't look at us as being bad or snobby or rude, we're just, we're trying we're trying the best that we can and you're right, like it's kind of creepy in a way being like, I'm 38 so like yeah, having 14 and 15-year-olds messaging me, I feel a little weird about it, but yeah. I am really, really happy to help those people. And sometimes there are 14 and 15-year-old kids that blow me away. They blow me away because they actually, like, read and they try to learn and they do the research and they listen and they, like, fix the problems that they're having. And sometimes yep. a first-year breeder can blow me away because they know what they're doing because they did their research first. You know, yeah. so it's not, I don't want to say it's an age thing necessarily, but, you know, for the most part in the groups, everybody's younger than me. So for me, I say kid, yeah. and it's not really a kid, but that's just the word that I use for it. But, like, it's not completely age because I've dealt with 45, 50-year-olds that are completely clueless and want <laughs> to pretend that they know more than that they know and... So I don't want anybody listening to think it's like an age thing. I'm not meaning that at all. It's more of a not really maturity. wanting to help themselves. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, maturity, I guess, in a way, and initiative, I guess, like take some initiative and try to learn. There's these great things called books that are still out there. You know, yep. like I feel like people don't read enough anymore. And the Internet, I know that forums are not as popular as they used to be, but they're a great place to research and learn because you can find the history in the forums still. If you want to know about a morph, type it in in the search function and you're going to find a ton of information from back in the beginning of when the morph started. And what's the best forum for that, Christy? uh, Gecko forums, of course. Um, There are other other good forums too, but for me personally, that's where I started and, you know, I'm still a moderator there and we don't get as many people there as we used to, but there is 
there are still people there and there are still people asking questions. And not only do we want new people there, but I would love to see some of the actual breeders in there helping to answer some of these questions and help mentoring the newer people that want to learn. You know, I am seeing people that actually want to know things. They want to do things the right way. And when I say the right way, I don't want to sound like I'm rude and there's only one way. But when I'm saying the right way, I mean they want to learn. They want to learn before they do. And that's the thing. Learn before. (laughs) Yeah, I am too, and I'm a moderator. But, you know, I try my best, and it's just, it's hard. It's hard because people there don't, you know, there's some of the same issues as Facebook where they don't listen or. They don't want to, like, navigate the forum and actually look for things and put them where they're supposed to go. So it gets frustrating for me. But it is still a great place, and it is a great place to find, you know, a lot of info. Like, there was a discussion recently in um, the genetics group, and I brought it up about red stripes. A lot of people don't know what red stripes used to look like or where they came from, and they confuse them with like the stripes from patternless stripes. A lot of people confuse the two. So, you know, I all I did was like a quick search on gecko forums and I was able to bring up a bunch of stuff, you know, and a bunch of pictures and things. It's a great resource to have and I'm hoping it never goes away because we don't want to lose all that information that is out there. Yeah. I just would well, like more updated information. Yeah, well, um, speaking of uh, young folks that are, uh, conscientious and show initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a caller on the line. I, am, I recognize his number. And by the way, uh, there's some callers on the line. If you guys would like to come on the air with a question, press one on your phone now, and I'll know that you want to be brought on the air. Uh, if you just want to listen uh, on your phone, don't press one. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and take this call. Caller from the five seven zero area code. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey Dave. Hey Christy. Hi. I had a question. If there's any signs that a leopard gecko can have of preovulation, because I know they have that in ball pythons, and they'll get a swell, but do they have anything like that in leopard geckos? Preovulation, swelling? Um, well, not swelling. I, mean, if, if I really don't think so. I mean... I'm not quite exactly sure what you're looking for. I know that, you know, when a gecko is starting to ovulate, one of the things that I notice with my females and I know to start looking is that most of them show no interest in food. So once I see that, I start flipping them over and looking at their stomach. And if you gently bend them backwards and gently, you can see like one, sometimes two circles. And they're usually pink, um, that's basically the first time you're going to see that a female is starting to ovulate. Once you see those, you can try putting the male in with her. She may or may not be ready at that point. So that could be almost a pre-ovulation, but a lot of times once you see those circles, she's ready. But before that, I don't think there's really any signs besides the lack of interest in eating that I have seen. Um, I'm not sure about other people, though. Uh, Have you noticed... when you're breeding, when the females are ovulating, pet them on the back? Do they lift their tail and all that? Mm, I've actually never tried it, so honestly I don't know. Um, like I just, like I said, when I see the circles, I put the male in, and I keep an eye on them. And what I do is watch until the male approaches her. If he approaches her and tail rattles and 
tries to bite her, and she turns around and bites him hard. I separate them and put him back home. And then I wait a few days, and then I try it again. And eventually, when she's ready to accept, she'll basically just lay there and let him bite on her. And eventually, she'll lift her tail for the male when when she's ready. Yeah. I tried that for a few years, and it, it worked. Just pet them mm-hmm. on the back. They lift the tail. They showed interest in the male. The seconds were a good minute. They locked up. Hmm. Yeah, I've never tried that. I've never actually heard of trying that, so it's not something I thought of. But that's interesting to know, and it would be interesting to see if other people have had that same the same results with that. And Dominic, also, if you're having problems with one male that uh, isn't, you know, let's say you have a male that doesn't feel like breeding, for instance, or mm-hmm. um, you have a female that won't accept a particular male. I, I don't know about you, Christy, but I've taken the female out of her tub and I've put a completely different male in there and let him scent everything up. And then mm-hmm. I'll reintroduce her and, you know, just mixing up different smells. And sometimes that, you know, makes the, you know, the copulation happen for me. So mm-hmm. I've heard of that before. I've had uh, a problem with my ball python having that problem. Female will not accept uh, the pastel male I have for any reason. Put the shed in, all that stuff they recommended. She will not let the male breed with her at all. Hmm. Oh. Because she has standards or something. It could be. <laughs> All right. Well, is there any other questions you have for us tonight, Dominic? No, that's pretty much everything. All right. Go ahead and give a plug for your uh, YouTube channel and your group. All right. Uh, my group on Facebook is Silver Moon Reptiles, and my YouTube name is Dominic Brack. It's B R A C K. All right. Cool. Check them out, folks. All right, Dominic, thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, Christy, uh, Gerard in the chat room uh, is having a problem. He's he's saying that he has his tangerines, and they've been giving him nothing but dead eggs. Um, I don't know if you want to call in, Gerard, if you have more information on that, but uh, what do you think might be happening there, Christy? Um. Obviously, I would need more info, basically, um, because I don't really know the history of the animals, like their age, how they're kept, um, if they've bred before, if they're proven breeders or not. Um, I have had issues the last couple of seasons that I've had a lot more infertile eggs than I've ever had, and I do not know why. Um, I'm not the only breeder. Some breeders have had great seasons last two, but there's been a lot that have had similar seasons to mine, a lot of infertile eggs or fertile eggs that go bad. Um I do not know if it's vitamin-related, if it's just so much of the, like, related animals to where we need to outcross more. Like, honestly, I've been trying to figure this out for the last couple of years. I switched back to, like, the vitamins and stuff that I started with just to kind of be safe and say I'm doing it from the beginning again because I didn't have problems then. Um, mm-hmm. First-year females a lot of times are going to give you infertile eggs. There could be, I mean, if it's if neither have been bred before, it's always a possibility that one of them isn't fertile, like, at all. Um, one of my male Eclipse, he's older now, he's like, ooh, I think he's going to be turning nine. And a lot of times, you know, they breed fine, but he, the last two years, I've never gotten a fertile egg from him at all. So I think he's basically done. Like, I retired him. 
So I think it could be a lot of things, and without more information, I'm not really sure. And even with more information, it could just be some of the same problems that I've been having that I can't figure out. Yeah. Well, you're welcome to call in, Gerard, if you'd like. If not, uh, you know, that's as good as it gets for now. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, have an, we have another question in the group uh, that was pretty good. Let's see. <clears throat> well, before I get to that, um, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, the community? You've been in the Gecko community for a long time, and um, I know we touched a little bit on some of the problems that new folks and competitive questions that we get from new folks. I mean, I, I just goes to show you how many new people are getting involved, which is, in itself mm-hmm. is good. But um, yes. what do you what, what have you seen in your tenure in the community, and um, how do you think the community is doing? We're kind of like a close knit group in a sense. So I mean, we don't always get along, but what do you what do you see, and uh, maybe what do you, is there any room for improvement in certain areas? What do you think? Oh, I think there's always room for improvement in anything. Um, I see even back, let's see, this is my ninth year, I think, breeding. So even like nine years ago on Gecko Forms when Facebook wasn't, you know, a thing. And there was always people, breeders, that just didn't get along with other breeders. And that's normal. Not everybody's going to get along or like each other. Um, I would like to see a little bit more respect from people. But I also understand where why there's so many issues when there's things that are, I don't want to say shady, but kind of shady in a way. Like there's a lot of people that want to make things like good and they work really hard to make things good. And I don't want, I'm not calling out any names, but the problem that I'm seeing more than anything kind of, actually there's like a two part thing. Part of it is all the new names, um, the new names for morphs, especially morphs that already exist, um, that's a big problem. And I'm one of those people that don't agree with it. I think it's not a good thing. And I think that you have to work in order, you need to do the work in order to name something yourself. I don't want to yeah. see people coming up with new names in two years saying, hey, I worked on this for two years, so this is what it is. No, it's not. It's already something else that you're just working on the same way everybody <laughs> else is working on things. Like, don't do that because it confuses all the new people and then people like me have to go and try to explain to them like, Hey, this is already this morph. They just renamed it something else. So I think that's part of the disconnect that we're seeing now, right now, like the divide. Um, The other part too that I'm seeing is with Facebook. I noticed that people, if you weren't on Facebook years, like years ago, there's a lot of people that don't think you're anybody like they don't know who you are because you weren't on there. And it doesn't mean there's a lot of breeders that weren't on Facebook. It doesn't mean they're nobodies. They're great people. You just don't know them because you didn't start on the forums. And I'm seeing a lot of people following these. I don't I don't want to be rude about it because I you don't have to be a breeder to be knowledgeable. You can be a hobby, you know, hobbyist just keeper and be extremely knowledgeable. But I'm seeing a trend where somebody starts a group or somebody admins in a group and automatically everybody follows them and thinks that they know everything and that they're right. And I want people to understand on Facebook that not only is there a wide variety of groups, there's a wide variety of people. And just because you started a group or you were asked to admin in a group doesn't mean they're the most knowledgeable person. So be a little more open 
to listening to breeders and don't be snobby because you don't know the breeder who's been breeding for 5, 10, 15 years. You know, there's great breeders like Marsha. She's on Facebook, but she's not active. She's not in a lot of groups. But my goodness, yeah. you should listen to her if she talks to you. You know, like oh my God, yeah. I'm seeing a lot of disrespect to veteran breeders because they aren't the popular Facebook kids. And I think that's causing a big problem. I think overall we are a very small-knit community. Um, when I say that I'm talking breeders, I'm not talking about people just keeping one or two animals or just getting into them. But breeders were a small minute community. Everybody talks. Everybody knows what's going on kind of behind the scenes for the most part. And I think we need to open up the communication even more, though, because I feel like in order for everybody to kind of get on the same page, we all need to, like, talk about it. The problem I'm seeing is there's just certain people who just won't bend. Like, they're so set in their ways that they won't bend and they don't want to listen. And it makes it a little bit harder Um I think overall, though, it's a great community, and I see a lot of good things every day from people. I just see a lot of negative, too. But, I mean, that's Facebook in general and social media in general. There's a lot of negativity, and it makes it hard to be, like, positive and helpful. And it's really hard when I answer a question for somebody, and then they, like, call me a bee. I'm like, I don't know, I don't want to help you if you're going to be mean or call me names. Like, you know, I am so happy to help you, you know, but don't be disrespectful. Don't act like you know it all because you have one animal. I'm seeing a lot of that lately, too. Like, if you have one gecko, yeah, maybe you know a ton. You might know a ton, but just because you have one doesn't mean you know everything. So I see a lot of misinformation. I see a lot of fights. I see a lot of arguments. I see a lot of rudeness and name calling and things that it's uncalled for. Like, oh, it's terrible. I, yeah. I'd like to see more maturity in the community, I guess, um, as a whole. And it's not just for the new keepers. I mean, it's for all of us. Like, I'm sure there's plenty of things I need to improve on, but I, I know that I am willing to help. I know that I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to learn. I ask questions still. I mean, it's not like, I don't, I get people that say that I act like a know-it-all, and it's like, I'm not a know-it-all, I promise you. I'm going to answer what I know, though. And I'm not going to answer something if I don't know it. And I'm seeing people answering things they don't really know, just to say something. And it's like, if you don't know the answer, don't answer it, because you're not helping anybody. I think, I don't know, I mean, I think communication and respect and maturity are the big things that will keep the community going. But I think communication, I think that's a big one. I think that people need to communicate more. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll be honest, I've never run a group before in my life, and I've only been on Facebook for three three years. So this has been Mm -hmm. a really, it's been a social experiment just for me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when when you run a group and it, it actually becomes somewhat successful and you got a lot of members and you want to, you want it to be smooth. You want it to, you mm-hmm. know, have some of your ideals. I mean, I guess it's, it's political in a sense, but um, it kind of also puts you in a position where, you know, some people will respect you and like your group and other people will think mm-hmm. you're a tyrant because yeah. you're not letting certain things fly. And I'm not capable of be capable to be a judge, jury and executioner. I'm not mm-hmm. experienced for that. So like, yeah, 
it, it's it's a tough position. I will, a lot of times I said, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing this group anymore. I don't know. Maybe it's not good for me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, I know. try to stay away from them, especially certain groups where they're massively huge and they're not moderated well. And there are certain groups that have more of those people that think they know everything. But I have a hard time when I see misinformation, and I have a hard time not correcting it. Like, I feel yeah. like I'm not doing something helpful if I just ignore it. It's not going to go away. It's just going to spread. So I'm kind of always torn, and there will be days where I won't go in, like, any groups except for maybe one or two that I'm comfortable with. But other days I'm like, I need to help. I need to help somebody because I feel really, really bad. I hate misinformation. And it's, like, one of my things that just gets on my nerves. So... Groups are good and groups are bad, and people need to realize groups have rules, and you have to follow them. Like, it's no different than a forum or going to school and being in the classroom. If you want to just chat with people, do a chat, you know, like, but if you want to actually ask questions and share your animals and learn, there are going to be rules to follow. And don't go into a group and say, well, I didn't read the rules, because each one has them. You know, like make the admin's jobs easier because then they just have to deal with the people who are being ignorant and rude and name-calling and things like that. It'll make things a lot smoother that way, too. But groups are good and bad. I mean... I Just, like, being an admin in a group and, like, having to ban or block someone because they, you know, didn't follow the rules or they're really nasty Mm -hmm. to somebody, then once you do that, that person will hold a grudge against you forever. And, oh, yeah, you know, and they badmouth you. Every, yep. Yeah, they go into the other group saying the worst things in the world about you. And it's like, holy shit, what the hell? You know, <laughs> what did I do? I know. You know. I've corrected people on, like, a morph before, and they have gone off calling me all kinds of names, swearing, threatening me. Like, like I don't understand why somebody's personality would act that way. Like, what makes you just snap on somebody who's trying to help you? Like, yeah. I'm not telling you it's that morph to be mean, but, like, you know, and if I see an eclipse, I know it's an eclipse, and I can tell by looking at it. Yeah, it could be a marble eye maybe, but most likely not because I'm seeing all the pied white features of an eclipse plus the eyes. So I'm just trying to help you not misrepresent an animal. Like, don't go off on me. Like, I've had people that I've had to, like, report because they've actually threatened me. I I don't understand that at all. It's kind of scary yeah. in a way, but I think it's just because it's such a big community, and there generally are some people in those groups that just want to start crap with people. And, well, you well, know, the average says there are some crazy people out there, too. So, you know. Yeah, true, yes. <laughs> So, and I mean, I mean, I'm a reptile person, and I admit it, like, I'm, I'm not, like, psycho, but I'm not completely normal, you know, I'm, I think a lot of reptile people are the same type of person, <laughs> in a way, um, like, I mean, I wasn't growing up, I was, like, preppy girl in, like, high school and stuff, but, you know, I think in general, you'll see the, like, I'll see reptile people at concerts and things like that and like run into the same people or be wearing a shirt and be stopped at concerts so people could talk about reptiles with me so I think we kind of all have that same like weird little personality in a way there's a few that aren't but you know we're kind of a weird person but 
crazy is a little I think different. You have to, like, <laughs> I think you have to be a little more enlightened, too, to be able to appreciate reptiles mm-hmm. and their beauty. I mean, not I everybody can. So, yeah. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's a good trait in a lot of aspects. Um, we have another caller on the line, Christy. You want to take another call? Okay. Sure. All right, caller call from the 718 area code. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, how you doing, guys? It's Gerard. Hey. Hey, Gerard. How you doing? Thanks for calling in. Good, uh, good. Yeah, uh, I was talking about my tang in the room, and uh, it's her first season, not the male. The male is a proven breeder. But, uh, okay. It's the, it's the weirdest thing. Every egg has been, I figured, all right, give it a few days, might be a dud, you know, it might mm-hmm. still come back, and it just stinks. Everything, hmm. I've not changed her diet. All, all my other females are fine. My other breeding females from last year are on the same diet. You know, um, mm-hmm. I pass you calcium plus for the vitamins. I do the calcium powder mm-hmm. you know, without the D3, once a week with D3. So it just adds to it. Super worms, uh, horn worms, uh, and he's been doing... Uh, last year, all my females, almost basically 90%. Eight percent for all the eggs almost came out fertile. Even wow. the one hypo, fourteen clutches, mm-hmm. which is a ridiculous amount to begin with. But she just kept laying them, and they all came out. They were all mm-hmm. fine. Just was the female acting me... weird at all before you bred her? Was she off food for a long time? Is she well, just? Uh, I I do a cooling period for at least a month. I just bring okay. it down about good maybe ten degrees, and I do and okay. And then I bring it back up, and I gradually, then I gradually give them more food, more, and I give them back up the weight, and mm-hmm. they go into the cycle. And just this one thing was giving me issues, hmm. and I have no idea why. Yeah, I've it's not, not the diet. male. Yeah, it's not hmm. the male. The male, but the male is a atomic G, which I bred to my typhoon. All, all her eggs so far come out perfect. Okay. They're all perfect. Oh, it could, you know, it really could be a few things. It could just be that her first year she's just not, for some reason, giving you fertile eggs. It could be that she has something where she might just never be fertile. Um, I would say, you know, keep, you know, maybe let her finish whatever she's laying this year. If you want to try the mail in with her again, you know, try it again, but... Maybe give her a season and wait and try next year. And if you have the same problem next year, I would say it's probably the female and she's probably infertile. Right. Because you know that your male is fertile. You know there's no problems there. You can try Mm -hmm. a different male, but I don't know that that would be an issue. Yeah. It's just 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 weird. Oh, it's frustrating, yeah. (laughs) uh, One did look like it had the the little eye going. And I was Mm -hmm. like, all right, cool. And that's have an incubator at the 80, 83 degrees. Mm-hmm. You know, I keep it it's nice level. I have it all set up and mm-hmm. it's So there was an actual, ones. like, fertile egg that just yeah, went there bad? Yeah, there was one. It looked mm-hmm. like there was the eye in there. I couldn't really mm-hmm. tell because, you know, it was very faint. And I was like, okay, let me put it in and just stump. Hmm. Next egg, next two eggs, stump. Next two, it, it's been constant. It's, it's yeah. weird. It's yeah, it's really hard to say. Um, like I know that I've had issues with, you know, infertile eggs or fertile eggs just going bad for no reason at all. Um, I just had one go bad and the clutch mate one was fine. 
Um, I did have a couple of females last year that laid like six eggs all infertile, even though they were in with a male. I'm still waiting this year for those same females to lay to see if there's fertile eggs or not. Because sometimes I think that some first-year females are great egg layers. I had one that gave me like 18 eggs her first season. Wow. Most of mine only give me like four my the first season, sometimes six or eight. But I don't really get a huge production most of my females the first year, but I have had a few really good ones. So yeah, I, I sometimes will see a better outcome the second year of breeding. Right. But with yours, it's you know it's really hard to say because it sucks. You won't know until next year. Like there's really nothing you can do unless you try another male, just to see you know if maybe. I don't know if there's anything with like compatibility with male and females, like sperm and egg wise. I don't. I've never right. heard of that, so I'm guessing it's not. But who knows? I mean, it might be worth a try just for the heck of it. Yeah, or you could just wait till next season. Right. Yeah, because I mean, my bred that my first year breeding my uh, hypo female. She's well. She's one. She's oldest. She's about three years old. She's the oldest mm-hmm. one out of the bunch, and okay. she just kept going. It just mm-hmm. kept all they just kept fertile, beautiful. Mm-hmm. She gave me a nice super hypo. Gave me some other, you know, mm-hmm. some other ones. I, I'm surprised. One night, I even lost power, and the temps went down ridiculous, and all the eggs still had. Yeah. So she's gave me some hit her, and you know, she's been giving me really. She gave me some really good stuff. I'm I'm keeping her off this year from egg laying mm-hmm. because you know I want to get her back up the weight. She just seems to have yeah. a slight problem gaining back the weight. Mm, yeah. So I've been hopefully getting her slowly, but the one my one hold back from her, she's three times heavier than her, she is. She takes wow. the father. She, the father's huge. Hmm. So yeah, it's just weird. A weird year. Yeah. A lot, of, yeah. a lot of my friends are having the same issue. Mhm. Yeah, it's been weird the last couple of years. There's been some weird issues with a lot of breeders, and nobody can really pinpoint exactly what it is. I always thought it may have been like an age thing at first. Like a mm-hmm. little bit older, they might lay better eggs because they're they're older than they're more uh, built for it. Yeah, they're usually really good around that three-year age. Yeah, she's right now, she's basically almost two, the the pain. So I mm-hmm. figured, all right, she's close to, being, mm-hmm. you know, she's fine. But yeah, she's oh, yeah. Does. It's weird. Hmm. Well, thank you. I appreciate Sorry. it. Hey, Gerard, real quick. Yeah. Uh, thanks, for, um, thanks for becoming an admin in Gecko Nation. Appreciate it, man. Oh, no problem, man. Not a problem. <laughs> Any, anytime. <laughs> Have you had a boot anybody yet? No, not yet. I mean, mostly people try to get invites, and I have to read through their whole profile. That's why I do first <laughs> because if they, if they don't, if they don't even look re- remotely interesting geckos, then I know they're probably you know they're the cause an issue. Mhm. You know, or cool. they have that one picture up. Why? You know, you know they're gonna they're not really the real person. So I I've been mostly keeping track of. Who comes in? Who comes out? I don't let people in unless I go through the entire profile. Oh wow, that's thorough. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want you know I don't want trouble coming into the group, so I have <laughs> to try to actually sit down, you know, get ten minutes of my day and <laughs> sit through it. It's 
it's worth doing because I don't want, like I said, I don't want issues coming into the group. And so far, no one's been lately. No one's been causing any trouble. So I told, you know, I told Heather, just let me know. I'm the Nazi of the group. I'll, I'll tell them. I'll boot them. No problem. <laughs> The Gecko Gestapo over here. All right. <laughs> That's cool. All right, Gerard. Thanks for calling in, man. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. All right. Later. Real quick, too. I think that's kind of a point that, you know, he's making that. That's another thing I think we should make sure people realize is just because you're buying an animal to breed from a breeder, there's no guarantees that animal's ever going to breed. You can spend twelve hundred dollars oh, yeah. on an animal and never get a baby from them. Like there are those risks involved too, and sometimes you just never know why. There's just a fertility issue or some kind of issue with that animal. So there definitely is no guarantees, and it's super, super frustrating for any breeder out there that's going through that. But you know, at the same time, you lower your risk for health issues and genetic. Oh yes, big time. Um, mm-hmm. By sticking with a good breeder, I mean. That's, yes. That's the way mm-hmm. to go. 100%, um, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, we're coming to the end, Christy, but there's there is a okay. question in the group that I want to get to. Um, okay. From Aubrey Stern, she asks, uh, could you ask the question, at what age and weight is a proper time to breed a female leopard gecko and a male leopard gecko? It's actually a really good question, and it's super common, and it's one that is mm-hmm. so hard to answer. Um Different breeders are going to have different thoughts on that. Some breeders will go by age, yeah. some will go by weight, some will go by both. Um, for me, I don't really go by age because sometimes when I get an animal from somebody, I might only have their hatch year and not their actual hatch date. So I don't really know if they're nine months old, one year old, you know, things like that. There's some people that wait till one full year. I try to wait pretty close. Um, for me, it's weight, but it's not just weight. It's body shape. Um not all geckos are going to be the same size. You may have a gecko that's 70 grams. It's actually kind of skinny and thin if they're a little bit longer. And you may have a gecko that's completely full-grown that never gets bigger than 45 to 50 grams. So for me, what I do is I always look at the overall body of the animal. You know, make sure they have good fat stores in their tail, but don't let them be obese because that's actually harmful too. Um, you want to have a good amount of weight on them because females especially are going to lose weight during breeding season that takes a lot out of them to produce those eggs and some females will drop way more and some will just drop a little bit i've had some where they barely drop five grams in the season i've had others that have dropped 20 grams so that kind of varies and you want to prepare for that males also can lose weight my males do not like to eat when they smell females around them so you want to make sure your male actually has a good amount of fat in its tail you know not not obese but you know like chunky-ish, not chunky, I don't want to say that, but like decent weight in their legs, you know, their whole body, not just their tail, like a good general proportion to the animal. To me, that is the most important thing, more than weight. Um, Overall, my geckos, I weight until over 50 grams. I like them around 60, but I tend to have bigger, longer geckos. So for me, 60 seems to be a good weight. Um... Some people, though, I've, I mean, I've had animals that have never gotten past 50 grams ever, and they did perfectly fine. The problem yeah. people are going to run into is when they breed an animal that doesn't really have the fat reserves to get it through the season, and they're like, well, it was a year old, so I could breed it, or that doesn't mean it's 
in good condition, good body condition. Or they'll say, well, it was 50 grams, but maybe that animal's a little bit longer and it needed to be more like 65 grams to be a good body proportion. So I know it's not a great answer because it's not, there's no one way. Like in my opinion, there's no one way. You're going to get a different answer from different breeders, but for me, it's body condition more than anything. I'm not going to breed anything too young. Males are generally, I've heard males can breed at six months old. I've never bred a male under like eight or nine months old. Um, Females usually, like I have a female right now that's almost, she's almost a year old and she just started ovulating, but she's still not full grown yet. So I'm not breeding her. Um, I've had geckos ovulate, females ovulate as young as six months and like 30 grams. Just because a female's ovulating definitely doesn't mean they're ready to breed. I did not breed her, and she laid in fertile eggs. But um, most females, if you talk to somebody that goes by, like, weight, they'll say, like, nine months old would be, like, the youngest they would breed a female if she was up to weight. There are a lot of breeders that like to wait until, like, a year and a half to make sure they're, like, really full grown. So I think, really, there's no wrong answer with age or weight you're going to have somebody argue one way or the other i think really just look at the health of the animal make sure she's had plenty of food make sure she's had tons of vitamins and calcium once you know that she's a healthy looking animal and a healthy weight and she looks good and she's alert and normal if she's ovulating and she's interested and she's not super super young she's probably ready to breed yeah, I would agree with all that too. And also, um, you know, about buying proven breeder females, uh, just know that there are breeders out there that will honestly sell you proven breeders that are good, but there are other breeders mm-hmm. that'll, you know, never sell their best breeder females. I mean, mm-hmm. just but you know, that's a risky thing. I think it's best to buy a juvenile female and grow it up mm-hmm. yourself. This way, you know when it ovulates first, and you can control its nutrients and its supplements along the way mm-hmm. and I mean that's just my opinion on it because I when I first started out in the game I bought some proven breeders and none of them ever turned out to be anything special no you know, as far as, as, far as both, yeah 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 it happens but uh all right well hey Christy one other thing I just want to say you know, you know we're around the same age don't you think we're lucky that we grew up in herpetoculture where we didn't really have Google, and we had to read. I mean, wasn't it a great experience mm-hmm. to read all those books and learn things I that way? I still read them, yes. I'm still, I buy books on Amazon all the time. I'm still reading them. It is. It's awesome. And there's some great books out there, just in, not just on leopard geckos, but in any on any reptile in general. Um, unfortunately, the best ones are really, really expensive, but, and they're never at the library. But if you go to, like, a reptile show, there, a lot of them have – people that are selling older books. And some of the info is outdated, but some of it is just so cool to read. And I feel like the newer people starting out are missing out on that stuff. So definitely take the chance and buy those books or at least look through them and give them a chance and learn. And, you know, there's some magazines, too, that are good. And, I mean, I get one from Australia. So there's definitely the stuff out there. And the kids, they're, the people coming up now, they're kind of missing it, but it is still there. They just need to go look for it. So yeah. I think, yeah, we're I, lucky, I think, and I think 
we got lucky yeah. that we kind of had to do the work and learn on our own. But I also had a lot yeah. of help from breeders too. So, you know, my yeah. advice to anybody starting out is, you know, make sure you do some research on your own, learn some basics, and then see if you can find a breeder that would help mentor you if you're really serious about it. I love helping people that, like, really want to learn and do things and mm-hmm. do them in a good way and an ethical way and a positive way that actually helps the community. I think those people are great, and I encourage them to reach out to people because there may be some breeders that just don't have the time for it or they don't want to deal with it, but a lot of us actually really enjoy it. Like, it's good. It's good to bring in new breeders. It's a good thing for the hobby. I agree. That's why I do the show because, you know, I'm really <laughs> passionate and mm-hmm. I feel like it helps. And, and I it, think does. it does. It's so awesome. I think anything like that helps. And, I mean, I don't want to say, like, anybody should be, like, patted on the back for it, but I think that no. there's a lot of breeders that go above and beyond, and they really need to get the respect and the shout-outs that they deserve and get some more recognition. You know, it doesn't take... It doesn't take long to say thank you to somebody, you know. If somebody's taking out an hour of their day to help answer questions for you, don't just disappear. Thank them for it. And let them know that they're appreciated because it it gets hard for us. It gets really hard. There's some days where you just want to, you know, like you said, rip your hair out and, like, you want to throw the computer. And we all have bad days like that. And sometimes just knowing that you helped one person or one person says, thanks or you made a difference that's all it takes that that's what makes it worth it and it's what makes me keep going is when i have that one person that says you helped me so yeah i think that that's important and listen now that now if anybody you know gets upset with you or anything and calls you a b you can say listen listen to me on the radio i'm really not that bad (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's probably going to be people that are going to totally take offense to everything I said tonight, but I'm okay with it. I'm I'm learning. It's hard for me. I'm not used I don't like conflict, and I'm not used to people not liking me, but I'm learning. I'm learning how to deal with it. I I have to accept that not everybody's going to like me, and that's fine. I'm okay with it. Yeah, it's it's a tough lesson to learn, that's for sure. Well, (laughs) Kristen, you're a great guest, and... I really appreciate you giving us some of your time tonight. I think this is an awesome episode. Great feedback so far, and um, I think it's a I think it's a good go-to episode for people in the community that are new and want to learn a little bit about the community and uh, some something about some cool gecko morphs that you're working on. So, um, why don't you give out your your, uh, your website and everything so people can find you out there? Um, com. I don't really update the website, but it is still there with all the basic start info, and then I have Ghoulish Geckos on Facebook, and I am on Gecko Farms, and my username is Christy23. Okay, awesome. All right, Christy, well, thanks again, and uh, have a great night. Best of luck to you and your projects this season. Thank you so much. You too. All right, take care. Okay, bye. Bye. All right, folks, hope you liked the show. Christy was an awesome guest. Um, I really like how it turned out. Had a good report tonight. And um, please go ahead and check out her page. Uh, she's got a really cool banner uh, that Brooke made for her. It's, really, it's one of a kind. You can't miss it. And uh, once you see it, you'll never forget who she is. So definitely check out foolishgeckos.com. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and give our sponsors a quick minute, and then I'm going to play a cool song at the end. So hang with us. And uh, thank you, everybody, in the chat room tonight and uh, everybody that 
uh, commented in the group as well. Really appreciate the feedback and the content for the show. Um, so don't forget to patronize with our sponsors. They really are awesome. LeopardGecko.com. Check out Ron Tremper's work with all different types of amazing leopard gecko morphs, such as bandits, high yellows, extreme emerines, raptors, and much, much more. Also check out his app in the App Store called LG Pro. It's basically an encyclopedia of leopard gecko morphs, great for beginners. And he has another app called Leopard Gecko Care as well. Great stuff. Check them out. And, of course, Supreme Gecko. Mr. Wally Kern does an awesome job with Cresties and Day Geckos and all kinds of cool obscure species that you don't see all the time. His website's also a wealth of information, so visit SupremeGecko.com. And, of course, Ohio Gecko. Uh, Ohio Gecko is very well known for working on all different types of leopard gecko morphs and fat tails. Uh, he's pioneering the fat tail gene, the starburst. So that's uh, unique to his collection. Check that out at OhioGecko.com. And, of course, Gecko Boa Reptiles, GeckoBoa.com. If you guys are looking for some really high-end leopard gecko morphs and any of the subspecies and wild types related to leopard geckos, John is the man for that. So go to Gecko Boa Reptiles on Facebook or GeckoBoa.com. And, of course, Rainbow Mealworms. We love Rainbow Mealworms. RainbowMealworms.net, best pricing, best customer service, all kinds of great stuff, not just mealworms. they got superworms, crickets, uh, roaches too. Definitely give Rainbow Mealworms a shot. You will not be disappointed. That's RainbowMealworms.net. And if you're shipping your animals anywhere in the country or to Canada and now Puerto Rico, uh, use Reptiles Express for your FedEx labels. You get them at the best rates that I've found and also any shipping supplies that you need, like cardboard insulated boxes, heat packs, deli cups, snake bags, and much more. So visit Reptiles Express. It's a, the membership is free, and if you have any trouble, ask for Amy. She'll help you out. And sea serpents. If you guys are breeding snakes or geckos or reptiles of any kind, sooner or later you're going to need a rack system. Get rid of all those tanks all over your house. So check out sea serpents and hotbox incubators. Hot, top quality rack and incubator manufacturer right there, folks. All right, SeaSerpents.com. And if you guys need any kind of graphic design work or stickers or banners or stuff like that, visit ReptileStickers.com. Ask for Rachel. She'll totally help you out. And if you're sick of crickets chirping in your house, getting out and climbing the walls, keeping you up at night, switch to Dubia Roaches. Go with ABDragons, ABDragons.com. Use the code GNR. I'm sorry, use the code GECKO, all in caps, with AB Dragons, and you're going to get 5 or 10% off your order. They have all different types of roaches, just not just dubious. They have uh, very obscure roaches that you don't see all the time as well. ABDragons.com, code is GECKO, all in caps. And the code for DBD Pet, that's GNR5, all in caps. DBDPet.com is the best reptile supply distributor that I've found, and we are proud to have them on board as a sponsor. DBD Pet has anything you need from caging, lighting, supplementation, heat pads, FlexWatt heat tape, everything. All kinds of good stuff that you'll need. Decorations for your tank uh, or cages. Um, and they're at almost all the reptile shows on the East Coast, too. So if you see them at any of the expos on the East Coast, mention Gecko Nation Radio. They'll give you 10% off on the spot uh, off their already low prices. And, of course... Their website and app is dbdpet.com and use the code GNR5 
or a discount on their uh, supplies online. All right, folks, thanks again for uh, being with us tonight. I hope you like the show. If you like what we do here, don't forget to check out the Gecko Nation Radio Facebook page. Okay, and if you could share the posts every once in a while, that'd be great. Help us reach some new listeners that could benefit from uh, from our broadcasts. All right, thanks again, everybody in the, the chat room. Here's a cool song to take us out. Until next time.